Early in the morning, Gideon and all the men camped at the spring of Herod, which means trembling. It's nice to hang out with a bunch of guys trembling. Gives you that confident feeling, doesn't it? The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. And the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver the Midianites into their hands. So in order that Israel may not boast against me that by her own strength she saved herself, announce now to the people, anybody who trembles with fear may transfer their church membership now. And 22,000 men left while 10,000 only remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, still got too many men. Take them down to the water. I will sift them or test them for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he will go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he won't go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. And there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. So 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouth. All the rest got on their knees to drink. Just a quick illustration so everybody understands. When you, when you lap like a dog, you throw everything down, face down into the water, just like a dog. When you take a hand to the mouth, you have your spear and your shield. You have one knee. You take one hand and you're looking around. You're vigilant. You're on guard. You're disciplined. Everybody got the picture there? So God says, okay, we got 300 guys that didn't go face down. Remember, he started with 32,000, and this is church growth. He's down now to 300. So the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped the water, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let everybody else go home. God never needs a crowd. He just needs a few good men. God delights to work with the weak the underdog, and the outnumbered. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Why? Verse 29, so that no one may boast before Him. In other words, He gets all the credit. People look at you and say, that ain't possible. Well, that's right. God made it possible. Too much talent, good looks, too many people cramp God's style. Over 50% of the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies never finish college. 65% of all United States senators came from the bottom half of their class. And the way the government's going, I can believe that. <laughs> Sorry, cheap shot, I know. 75% of all United States presidents were in the lower half of their graduating class. God bless America. Peter Jennings was hired by ABC as the newest United States news anchor in history. He died of cancer in 2005. He never finished college. I think we live in a day much like the book of Judges, if you've never read it, Judges 21. There was no king in the land, and everybody did what was right in his own eyes. So today, people feel overwhelmed. They feel in the minority. Everywhere you look, the Bible, Christian values are mocked and ridiculed. The feeling is we're outnumbered. We don't have any hope. So the result is a nation of fearful men and women hiding, surrounded by a great host of enemies. But yet in the middle of this, God apprehends 
a company of men. Not a majority, just a few good men. And somewhere in this room today are men and women with no history of heroics, nothing obvious in their life to commend them, but like Gideon, they are destined for a divine encounter with God who speaks to them just like he did to Gideon, I am with you, O mighty man of valor. Okay, <laughs> and, and where was Gideon when God said that? Well, he ain't riding a white horse. He was afraid he was hiding in a wine press. He's a man with no credentials. He's not famous. He's a zero on a hero scale. But he doesn't argue with God, and you know why? The only reason he didn't was that when God spoke those words of destiny, they witnessed to something already inside Gideon. It wasn't working yet, but it was in there. And it was a dream to be a mighty man of valor. Now, Gideon was not a man of valor at the moment, but he had a dream to be inside. When God makes somebody, he stamps a dream inside of them. Now, it might be obscured by fear or a hectic lifestyle, or it may be obstructed by a bunch of worldly flesh you're involved in, but deep down in every human being is a dream. So Gideon accepts the challenge from God. He blows the trumpet. 32,000 men show up, not very many against 180,000 Midianites. But God says, in my math, that's too many. So God decides to separate the champions from the crowd. Now, please notice, every word of God that He gives you, every dream of God that He gives you will always be tested. Always. If you ever hear a word from God, oh, buckle up. It will be tested. Adam was tested. Noah was tested. Abraham—how would you like to be a hundred, your wife 90, and still believing to the fact God told you over 35 years ago you're going to have a kid and you're going to be the father of many nations? I mean, it ain't looking real good, right? And He's the father of all who believe, the father of faith. And yet, how does God test him in faith? So whatever you think your strength is, get ready. God isn't going to test you in your weakness. He's going to test you in your strength. Woo! Yes, sir. Put your tray tables in the upright lock position and buckle up. So no exceptions. It's a biblical pattern. So God devises two tests for the men that gathered with Gideon. And one of the ways you can tell if you've got a dream from God or it's just some fantasy of your vain imagination, you're going to discover it in the test. So if it's from God, it'll prevail. If not, you're going to dump it in your hour of trial. So God sees 32,000 men, and He says, too many. He tells Gideon, test them this way. Everybody who's afraid, go home. And two out of three men went home. Two out of three men are afraid. And the greatest enemy against you and I becoming godly men or women is fear. It says Adam hid himself because he was afraid, and men generally have been hiding ever since. And the primary fear has to do with who we are created to be. We're so insecure. We're so afraid of rejection. We're afraid of other people. We're afraid of commitment. We're afraid of intimacy. But Adam hid because he was afraid and he was naked. Men fear being transparent and intimate. 
It's intimidating to men. And I think we're afraid of what God might call us to do or call us to be if we ever get alone and intimate with Him. So what would be the cure for fear? You can't just tell somebody, stop being afraid. It doesn't work. You can't overcome something with nothing. If you've got fear, which is faith in the wrong thing, you're afraid you're going to fail. You're afraid you're going to be rejected. You have faith in your inevitable failure. So God overcomes fear with a dream, with a vision. God puts a dream in your heart. And if that dream is big enough, facts don't matter. Can you see the dream has to be authentic enough, real enough, big enough to overcome your fear? So every dream or call that God gives any human being has the power within it to overcome the fear you might not make it. When God said, O mighty man of valor, it spoke to a dream God already knew was in Gideon because God put it there. He just been sitting on it. And when God spoke it, something inside Gideon woke up, stood up, came to attention. And it was that that dispelled his fearfulness. So that's why Gideon's out here now with 300 men. He's passed the test of fear of man. In the movie Braveheart, Scottish freedom fighter William Wallace, played by Mel Gibson, has to rally his ill-equipped, outnumbered ragtag troops to face the English army that's huge, well-trained, and well-armed. And all his boys are talking, let's run and live. And just when it looks like the men are going to cut and run, O'Mel rides his horse in front of his troops and starts to speak to them a dream. And he challenges the men, run to what? A life of running? But if we stand and fight for our dream of freedom, we can live as free men. Watch the video clip. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to train all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives? But they'll never take our freedom! Woo! Give me a sword. And that dream, that vision of freedom overcame their fear. You can't fight and defeat something with nothing. God knows that. You can't walk up to somebody full of fear and say, stop that. It won't work. What releases the warrior within a man or a woman and defeats the spirit of fear is to get a dream from God in their heart. Now, everybody says they want to be a mighty man or a mighty woman of valor, but if your dream hasn't overcome your fear, my God, you need a bigger dream or you need one that's really from God. Because God's call always overcomes fear that we all have. 
If you say, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer, or whatever, and I say, well, how old are you? Say, 30. And I say, well, when are you going to get started? Well, I don't know. Well, what you are is afraid. You're afraid the cost will be too high. You're afraid to borrow the money. You're afraid you might not make it. And I'm telling you, when the dream is from God, those fears go away. You will smash through them. People who are ruled by fear seldom, if ever, end up at the head of the pack. If everything has to be perfect, if everything has to be guaranteed before you act, you will stay where you are forever. And I can't live with that. None of the famous inventors, explorers, leaders, and change agents of any kind would be household words today if they had not had the courage to take risks. How church became a safe place is beyond me. This is highway to the danger zone. Some of you don't even know what that song is. Okay. This is for Top Gun people only. God didn't call you to a safe life. He called you to an adventuresome life, a buzzy life, uh, but not a risk-free life. Look in the Bible and show me anybody God dealt with that had a safe, risk-free life. Well, well, no, you need to go to the little Peter Pan church and wear a little boutonniere and manicure your fingernails, use a lot of hairspray and be sweet and politically correct and gag me. You'll never do anything. <laughs> Nothing. Get sick. If fear calls the shots in your life, your life will be spent in hiding. If you're dealing with a bully at school, you take a few courses that are not expensive, you knock the snot out of him one time. <laughs> he still may be bigger than you are, but he knows you'll fight, so you're not any fun. People love to pick on people who don't fight back. Did I say that in church? Yes, I did. <laughs> Knock the living snot out of him. And I mean, go for broke. Don't be nice. If somebody's trying to mug you ladies, you can't say, please don't. No, you got teeth. You got a great white shark right in your mouth. You can hurt a man incredibly hard. He's vulnerable in a number of spots. <laughs> and screaming is not going to do it. You got to go for death and blow. You can bite his cheek, his ear, other things, and he'll, he'll let go. You got to be aggressive. Ask the police. Ask the detectives. It's a fact. People, don't, people are not expecting that from you. The devil loves passive, fearful, timid people. And it cost Israel 40 years in a wilderness because they would not fight. Yeah, but I could get hurt. Yeah, you could. But you could also win, too. So what are the odds? Nothing's going to change until you take that shot. Philip Brooks says, once you discover you've only been living half a life, the other half will haunt you until you develop it. So the first test of a champion is the test of fear. Are you afraid? And in Gideon's case, two out of three were disqualified because their dream wasn't big enough to overcome their fear. So now Gideon's down from 32,000 to 10,000, and God said, still too many. You know, we didn't get here with a guarantee. We didn't build Summit with a guarantee. The board and I stepped out with daring faith. 
way over our head. Not to mention going to close alone in 08 when the whole world went to the toilet economically. Anybody remember that? You want to talk about panic and fear? But we believe that what God started, God will finish. And it's pretty obvious He did. And is still doing so. This church was not built by fearful men or women, but by warrior people who are willing to risk to dare to dream big and escape the ordinary, the mediocre, the mediocrity, and the complacent. I'd rather die in failure trying to do that than live in captivity in some little birdcage. Well, that's how I feel about it. I don't care how you feel about it. So are you afraid? And God says, well, now you're down to 10,000 men, still got too many. So here we go again, verse 4. God says, bring them down to the water, and I'm going to test them again for you there. So God says, okay, Gideon, you tested them with fear. Now I've got another test. Judges 7, verse 5. God says that everybody that bends the knee and laps water like a dog won't go with you. But everyone that puts his hand to his mouth, I'll send with you. And only 300 men out of 10,000 put their hand to their mouth. Ever been real thirsty? Ever play football practice in the summer? I mean, in America, that's the only time you get to play. You show up in August, you put on the pads, it's 100, 103 degrees, 90% humidity, and you load up and you do your summer football practice. And I can remember before Gatorade was invented, before there were salt tablets, coaches thought it was sissy for you to drink water. Now, they got Gatorade on every bench in every sport in the world. They've got everything in the world to refresh, renew, and replenish you during the game, during practice. It's a criminal offense not to. It's amazing. We didn't die. We didn't get anything. Our coaches said you get nothing till after practice if you're alive. And I'm telling you, it's amazing we didn't die. We were just too dumb to die. And when that whistle blew, it was every man for himself. You threw your helmet down. You knocked people out of the way. You'd have run over a handicapped woman in a wheelchair to get that water. There was no order, no dignity, no discipline. You just buried your head in that fountain and drank. Now, spiritually, it means you've thrown your spear away and your shield because all you want to do is satisfy your fleshly appetite. But out of 10,000 men, there were 300 who kept their spear and shield in one hand, watched with their eyes, putting water to their mouth in their hand. They were vigilant. They were watchful. They were aware. They were disciplined. Drinking with one hand while being constantly vigilant is the sign of a disciplined life. And watch it. Only one in 100 have it. The essence of the kingdom of God, the government of God, is self-government. Because until you can govern yourself, you can't lead others. That's a law. The more self-government you have in your life, the less external government you need. Even if you're skilled and very talented, if you don't have self-discipline, you're going to be uh, roadkill. We watch it with celebrities and sports stars and gifted ministries and politicians. We watch them on the curb and crash and burn all the time. No discipline. So when God qualifies a champion, test number one, are you afraid? Test number two, 
Are you disciplined? Now, the military and special forces use that all the time. They don't want a crybaby. They don't want somebody who's going to buckle under pressure and fear, throw their weapon away, and desert their brothers. If you can't control your temper or your emotions or your anger, you'll endanger your life and the life of those around you. So when the rangers and the SEALs and the Green Beret and Special Forces are trained, they are intent on making you quit. They are intent on making you hate it so bad and you hate them so bad you quit. They don't want you. They actually want you to wash out. They only want the few that can take it and not quit. Knowing whatever we run into, we're going to be together. We're going to fight the good fight. Nobody's going to buckle in fear and get tissues and start crying because bullets are flying. I don't want to be in a foxhole or on a mountainside with somebody like that. They love to shoot you in the back. This is the most unresponsive crowd. I don't know what is with you. Shoot fire. This is, I could be on cocaine and not agree with that. I mean, what, what in, how spirit-filled do you have to be to agree with that? I'm going to tell you, half your problems are lack of discipline. Our nation is a government of men and women gone wild. No self-government. Problem is so bad, we don't have room in our prisons to hold all the people who lack self-government. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Nobody can make you do it. The devil cannot override your will. He cannot. You, God says, if you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. It's a will. Even doctors, secularly, have proven people with cancer, people with uh, uncurable diseases, live longer with a strong will to live than people who, oh, I'm going to die. They quit. They give up. It's actually life-preserving. I, I mean, I, I just don't know. Maybe you were raised in an environment of quit and fear, and uh, if it hurts, let's quit. That destroys marriages. Listen, everything worth doing is going to hurt. Everything. You're going to pay the price of discipline, or you're going to pay the price and pain of regret. Either way, you're going to pay. And either way, it's going to hurt. So why not get something for it? You know, pay the price of discipline. Ain't nobody made you take a gun, go into a shop and go, because daddy didn't give you a cocker spaniel, shoot the man and rob the store, you fool. You did it on your own. Nobody made you do that. Nobody made me mistreat you. I did it. I did it. You know, the mark of an immature child is you got to watch them all the time. You got to tell them everything to do. So our goal as parents is to mature our children so for God's sake we don't have to watch over them 24-7 and we don't always have to tell them what to do. That's the mark of maturity, not age. Well, I'm 27 years old and I'm an adult and I can, I can. Hey, you are 12 years old in the spirit. We got to tell you everything to do. And maybe in your 40s and 50s, you're not mature because of age. You are mature when you don't have to be told everything to do and watched over all the time. And we got people in their 40s and 50s that are not self-disciplined. Can you control yourself? That's self-discipline. That's for the young people. Age is not the indicator of maturity. Self-discipline is. Self-government is. I'm a bunch of brown bad people about to do something bad. I can separate myself from the crowd. Nobody made you go. 
Saul was such a lousy leader that when he brought back what God told him to kill, he said, the people made me. Really? I didn't read anywhere anybody put a knife to his throat or a spear. No, the chicken gave in to the opinion of the people. Well, that's kind of where we are. Nobody can make me do anything except my wife. In the movie, Moonstruck, a woman endured a husband who had for years had a mistress, and she knew it. And one night, she finds herself in a nice restaurant, and this very nice, handsome man sits down with her, starts a conversation, pays for her meal, and flirts with her. During their conversation, she confides in him she's had to endure her husband's affair for several years. So this man says, well, why don't you and I spend the night together? She said, out of the question. He says, well, why not? He's doing it to you. And she said, because I know who I am. And when you know who you are, you won't sell yourself short. You won't degrade yourself no matter who else does. Champions always know who they are. No, they're not perfect, but they know who they are. They're mighty men and women of valor. They're living with a purpose and a destiny. The champion is not going to lay down his sword and shield in the presence of the enemy. He's not going to cast off restraint to fulfill his fleshly desires. He has the power and will to say, no. It's appealing. No. No. So God says, by these 300 champions, I'll deliver those 180,000 Midianites into your hands. So Gideon and his band of 300 men had a vision of destiny. It was so real, so consuming, it influenced everything they did. That dream conquered their fear and produced discipline in them. Now, August the 5th, we start the Rio de Janeiro Summer Olympics through the 21st. Got any idea of the sacrifice Olympians put themselves through just to be able to play on that field? Do you have any idea of the discipline, the money, the risk, and the time? But they're driven by a dream, something bigger than their own pain. And that dream drives them. It drives away fear they won't make it, fear that they might fail, and they might. But it puts a discipline in them that governs their life. They no longer eat what they want, drink what they want, do what they want. Every area of their life is subjected to that dream. And if you're still struggling with a discipline problem, you need a dream. And if you discover, uh, you discover who you are in God, you're going to pass that test of discipline. Uh, the dream of having something bigger and better than your life will cause you to do something you wouldn't normally do. If I suddenly, if my children suddenly needed a kidney or suddenly needed something that could impair my life forever, because my child is so much bigger than my own life now, having lived 75% of it, it wouldn't even be a vote, a thought, or prayer. It would be, I could care less about my life because they're bigger than me, that, that, vi that vision there. So I would do what I normally wouldn't do. If you walk up to me in the lobby and say, Rick, could I have one of your kidneys? No. <laughs> but I wouldn't hesitate if my wife wanted it or my children wanted it. I wouldn't hesitate. My, their life is much bigger than mine. You have to have something to live for that's bigger than you. Martin Luther King phrased that phrase that is immortal, I have a dream. And that dream, before civil rights, 
allowed people to get beaten with clubs, march, get sprayed with water hoses, attacked by German shepherd dogs, imprisoned, mistreated, hung, all kinds of mistreatment, things nobody in the world would want to happen. What made them do it? The dream of being equal and being free. That dream made them do what they didn't want to do. And that dream will make you do what you don't want to do. So if you got a lazy lay around the house, can't get him to do anything, teenager, he doesn't need more law. He needs a dream. Laws don't produce discipline. Rules don't produce discipline. Vision produces I want that so bad I can taste it. I stood in the Sydney, Australia Opera House. Everybody's seen it. The first religious meeting ever I was there. Ray McCauley and I were there. 2,500 seats, this beautiful, magnificent piece of architecture that's known around the world. And I remember just standing there before the service looking out at that massive auditorium. And we were in a rented flea market. And I remember Ray McCauley walked up and put his arm around me and he said, Ricky boy, one day you'll preach to that many people. One day you'll have that. I'll never forget that as long as I live. You know, we're not all there yet, but we surpassed that goal. And we're here. But I'm telling you, wanting to do something big drives me to do things that scare the tar out of me. Really. Ain't none of you signed for $40 million, so don't talk to me about fear, okay? Yeah, you're not responsible. But I'm I'm saying to you, don't be criticizing somebody else who's out there on the water praying for their life when you you still in the bathtub, you ain't even got out. Don't, Don't be criticizing anybody. At least we took a chance. Together we all took, and the possibility is always you could fail. Yeah. But the Bible says, though the righteous man falls seven times, the Lord upholds him eight. Get back up. Get back in the batter's box. Take another swing. If you're still struggling with discipline, you need a dream. And I tell you what, that dream will help you whip that weight, that bad habit, that immoral affair you're having, and you won't accept any excuses. You'll do whatever it takes when you get a better dream. True discipline and perseverance is never forced. Well, I got to lose 50 pounds. Well, I got to go to work. Well, I got to tithe. Hey, Sparky, get rid of the I gotas and get a dream. Then you start getting to say, I get to, not I gotta. That dream dictates my discipline. If Greenpeace, if Save the Whales, if Save the Forest is a big enough dream to cause people to be motivated to risk their lives to do dangerous work, How much greater is the call of God, the purpose of God, the destiny of God on your life? Your life outranks any dumb whale, and people get out there and risk their lives, and some have died trying to save whales from the Japanese uh, trawlers illegally killing them. I watched it, high risk. I thought, you do that for a whale? What do you do for God? When God gives you a dream to be a champion for Him, whatever the call may be, it's always going to be larger than you or your experience or your resources or your talent. You're going to be totally dependent on Him. And if you who are members of Summit can't see it larger than it is, if you have no dream to see it extend its influence in the world, support greater outreaches and missions, my God, you need a bigger vision. This is not big enough. Now, how do I know if it's real? It'll overcome fear and produce discipline. And if those things are not currently present, 
you need to redream it. Want to be a champion? Oh, buckle up. Get ready for some tests. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.